Um, Today, we are wrapping up our collection on the story of God. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the story of God as told through the Bible to figure out how to live out our stories here and now well. And so we broke up this story into five parts, and we kind of liken it to like a five-act play. And just to recap, act one was creation, where God creates the world and everything in it, and he calls it good. And God's dream from the very beginning was shalom, universal flourishing between God, humanity, and all of creation. And then act two, the fall, sin enters into the world because it enters into the human heart. And the same temptation that was presented to Adam and Eve back then is the same temptation we face today to be the gods of our own lives. And it's this idea that we have a problem out there in the world because first and foremost, there is a problem in here. And we've defined sin as the human propensity to F things up. And so we see in the story things getting worse and worse as it progresses. And then act three, Israel, God sets his plan into motion. And his plan is to choose a people to be his vehicle for redemption here on earth. And so he makes a covenant with Abraham and from him, comes the nation of Israel. And so God chose Israel to help bring renewal to the world, but we see Israel fail again and again at keeping their covenant with God, and we see them fail their mission at bringing shalom to a broken world. And so we see Israel, God's plan for redemption is now broken. They're exiled, and the people are scattered and disconnected from God more than ever. And then last week, we got into Act 4, Jesus. Jesus comes to fulfill Israel's original mission, where Israel had failed to keep their covenant with God, where Israel had failed their mission at releasing shalom on the earth. Jesus succeeds. And he does this, and he ushers in the kingdom of God through his death, his life, and his resurrection. And today, we conclude the story of God with Act 5, the church. Now, how the Bible describes the church and how we in our day describe the church are quite different. When someone asks me, you know, tell me about your church, I think most people would respond by describing a two-hour event on Sunday, right? We meet at a cool art studio. There's some music. It's like a fusion of Hillsong and Maverick City. There's a message that's sometimes inspiring depending on the week. We have pour-over coffee. We got lots of dogs, But if you were to ask first century believers to tell you about their church, they would spend less time describing an event and more time describing a people. You know, Gloria makes some really sick beats that we can memorize the Torah to. Vitae and Natasha tell some amazing stories about all the cool places that they've been to. Rena is so friendly and she'll make you feel welcome and at home. Joseph is so generous with his time and his energy. If you ever need help with anything, go seek him out. And somehow we've shifted our understanding of a church as a people to church as a Sunday gathering. And we've kind of missed the point. And what this does is it produces consumers of the story instead of participants. And so today we are going to explore Act 5. And we have to understand that we, as people living in Act 5, 
must understand the story of the early church, the purpose for why God created the church, if we hope to be active participants in God's story today. And so we're going to dive into that. We're going to conclude our series. It's going to be powerful. I feel like you're going to be inspired and you know, just filled up, ready to live out this calling. Why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, we welcome you here and now. We ask that you would come and meet us in this place. I know that these are just words. These are just ideas, and they're nothing without you breathing life on them. And so, Holy Spirit, would you use these words, would you use this teaching to transform our hearts, to renew our covenant and our our commitment to you? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, the question I want to ask you is this. Why did Jesus choose 12 disciples? I mean, why not three or 24 or 99, right? Why did Jesus choose 12 disciples? Why that number? You should automatically be thinking, you know, how many tribes of Israel were there? There were 12 tribes. And so what Jesus is doing in choosing 12 disciples is he's reminding people that there were 12 tribes of Israel. And he's saying in choosing 12 disciples, Jesus is calling forth a new Israel. Now, remember, what was Israel's mission? They were to be God's vehicle for shalom and redemption. God chose Israel to partner with him in bringing renewal to the world. And so what Jesus is doing by choosing 12 disciples, he's saying, this is the new Israel. This is the new covenant people who will carry on Israel's mission in bringing shalom and redemption to the world. Now, I want to look at Matthew 16, 18, a few chapters later famous verse. And Jesus is talking to Peter, and this is what he says. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, this is the first time the word church is used in the entire Bible, and the word for church here is ecclesia. And what ecclesia translates to, it literally means the called out ones called out. If you remember when God called out Abraham to leave his home country to establish a new nation in the same way, Jesus is calling forth a church and they're called out to be God's co-partners in bringing redemption to the world. Now, the beautiful thing about the story is that the cast of characters in this story are expanding. It's like if you ever watch Game of Thrones, it gets so complicated because after every season, more and more characters are added you start forgetting about characters that were in the first season but there's just the cast of characters are expanding more and more and we see here in the story that God is no longer just calling the Jews but now his calling extends out to all people the old covenant was with Israel and now the new covenant is with all who receive Jesus And so this is the church. Now, I want you to pay attention to this one part. It says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I want to ask you a question. Are gates offensive or defensive? Gates are meant to keep people out, to protect and to defend an area. They're defensive. 
And I want to ask you this. If the gates of hell are on defense, then what is the church? See, isn't it interesting that the first image of of the church that Jesus paints is one on the offensive against the gates of the enemy. The primary calling of the church is not to be a sanctuary from the enemy's attacks. The church was first and foremost called to be an offensive front against the works of the enemy, knocking back the gates of hell, taking enemy territory. In other words, if our faith journey is all about fending off the attacks of the enemy, barely scraping our way to church on Sunday to find solace, I think we're living it wrong. You know, our lives aren't just about, oh, I need to defend myself against the lies of the enemy. Oh, how's your week going? Oh, man, the devil's attacking me. I'm just trying to get by. No, we were meant to be an offensive front against the devil. If we're spending all of our time defending, then there's no room for advancing his kingdom. And I think the true reality is that most of us live our lives on the defensive, that we're always concerned with how the enemy's attacking us in our circumstances, in our minds, in our emotions, that we have little room to think, how do I advance God's kingdom? And this is the primary calling of the church. Now, when I talk about advancing, I know we're using strong language, advancing the kingdom, taking enemy territory. I'm not talking about conquering everything for Jesus. I'm not saying we have to turn all secular radio stations into positive, encouraging Caleb. I'm not saying that every movie released has to be set in the God's Not Dead cinematic universe. I'm not saying that every school needs to teach a Christian education. You know, N.T. Wright, he says, when God wants to change the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek, the mourners, those who are hungry and thirsty for God's justice, the peacemakers, and so on. You see, the world will say, in order for you to advance, you have to use your power, you have to use your force. But here in the kingdom, God doesn't send, God doesn't take power by force. But instead, advancing the kingdom doesn't look like forcing your religious beliefs down society's throat. It doesn't look like conqueror, conquering and colonizing a culture. It looks like releasing shalom, peace, and justice wherever you are. It looks like bringing hope where there is hopelessness. It looks like bringing healing where there is brokenness, shalom where there is injustice. And so we see that the Christian life is not about sitting back in fear, anticipating the moves of the enemies. Come on, how many of you know that we're not playing by the devil's playbook? And sometimes we're so focused on what the devil is doing instead of focusing on what God is doing. God, what are you calling me to do today? How are you calling me to participate with you in bringing renewal to our world? What are you saying and how are you moving? This was the original calling of the church, and it's still our calling today to be an offensive front, advancing the kingdom of God where it is not present. Now, N.T. Wright, he puts it this way, and this is kind of a long-winded quote, but just, just listen and pay attention to the words. It's so powerful. It says, our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world 
that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. Come on, isn't that true? But the gospel of Jesus points us and indeed urges us to be at the leading edge of the whole culture, articulating in story and music and art and philosophy and education and poetry and politics and theology and even biblical studies, a worldview that will mount the historically rooted Christian challenge to both modernity and postmodernity, leading the way with joy and humor and gentleness and good judgment and true wisdom. I believe we face the question, if not now, then when? If we are grasped by this vision, we may also hear the question, if not us, then who? And if the gospel of Jesus is not the key to this task, then what is? If not us, then who? Listen, we are called to tell a better story than the story that the world is telling. And honestly, it feels like the church is so behind. And it feels like we're not living up to this calling because it feels like we're playing catch up in culture, in conversations with politics, engaging society. But we are called to be at the forefront, the leading edge in bringing shalom and redemption to a fallen and a broken world. And if not us, then who? In other words, you are called to do more than just survive this life and get to heaven. You were called to partner with the living God to shape this world, bring healing and renewal in your relationships, in your career, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your field, in your country, and in our world. We are called to be agents of shalom, partnering with God to renew this world. And we can't forget it because it was the church's original calling and it's still our calling today. And so we see the church called on this rock. He will build this church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. A church advancing the kingdom of God wherever they are. And so we see that Jesus fulfilled Israel's mission and now he's getting ready to hand it over to humanity once again. And you're probably thinking at this point, um, that's a bad idea. I mean, doesn't history show that humanity will find a way to F things up. It's like when I was a kid, I had a serious problem. Um, Whenever my mom would buy snacks for the house, I would find a way to finish the entire box of snacks in one day. And so if she would buy cookies, I would find a way to finish the entire box of cookies that day. If she bought ice cream, I found a way to finish that entire box of ice cream in one day. And I would go up to her complaining, mom, I have a stomach ache. I'm not feeling good. I don't feel good after eating all those snacks, all those sweets. But lo and behold, if she brings another box of cookies home, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat it. And in the same way, we have to ask, what's changed since the days of Adam, Abraham, Moses, and David? I mean, won't they just find a way to F things up again? Won't they fail in their covenant with God? Won't they fail in their mission and co-partnering with God to bring redemption to our world? What's changed since then? Is this a good idea? The thing that's changed is this, Jesus has come and he's poured out his spirit. Now remember, in our very first act, act one, God makes a covenant with Abraham and they cut an animal in half and they split the halves. 
And God comes down as a smoking fire pot and he walks through the halves, making a covenant with humanity. And the reason why they did that, they were saying that as I walk through these these cut parts of the animal, may what was done to the animal be done to me if I don't uphold my part of the covenant, if I don't live up to my promise to you. What God was saying in that moment is even humanity, even if you don't uphold your end of the covenant, I will fulfill it on your behalf. If we look at Jesus, Jesus was the animal that was cut in half for us. And now we're able to walk through Jesus' sacrifice so that we can establish a new covenant with God, not dependent on our ability to keep the covenant or not, but dependent on the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Now Jesus is that animal cut in half. Now we're able to establish a new covenant with God. But this time, God sends us help. And this is where we go to Acts 2, and this is the birth of the church. You might be familiar with the story. We covered it in our Holy Ghost collection. We've hit it again and again, but I want to look at it from a different point of view this time. Starting from verse 1, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staring, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And so amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And I love this part. Check this out. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Probably wouldn't be true here in San Francisco. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Pay attention to this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When humanity failed in the past to live up to their covenant with God and to fulfill their mission here on earth, now through God's empowering present, aka Holy Spirit, they're able to keep their covenant with God and they're able to fulfill their mission on earth. The difference now is Jesus's redemptive work and establishing a new covenant with this people. And now, the outpouring of God's empowering 
presence. If you remember, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, you will be my people and I will be your God. You ever try your hardest to be faithful in your walk with God only to find that you just can't do it no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you strive, you can't seem to do it. It's because we need a Holy Ghost. We need God's empowering presence, Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. It's God's Spirit that gives us a new heart. It's God's Spirit that transforms. It's God's Spirit that empowers us to be faithful to God's commands. And I love what the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying. There's coming a day when God will put his Spirit in his people so that they will be able to live up to their covenant with him and fulfill their mission. In other words, God's original dream can now become a reality because of Jesus' work on the cross and the spirit that he fills every believer with. A people who will participate in God's redemptive work, a people who will release shalom and renewal, a people who will co-reign with God here in the kingdom. The cycle of sin is now broken And a new covenant people are emerging, a people called to advance the kingdom of God. Come on, isn't that powerful? Isn't it encouraging to know that, hey, none of us can do it. But now, through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, if we learn to abide in the Spirit, we're able to do this thing. We're able to keep our covenant with God. We're able to live up to our mission as the church to advance his kingdom wherever there is darkness, wherever there is chaos. And so we see the opening scene in Act 5 is a church empowered by God's spirit to carry on the mission of Jesus in renewing and redeeming the world. Now we know how Act 5 begins, but we also know how Act 5 ends. Theologian R. Allen Woods He says the kingdom of God is the already, but not yet. And it's this paradox that it's true that the kingdom of God has come, but it's also true that the kingdom of God is coming. Meaning the heavens were torn open when Jesus came and the spirit was poured out. But heaven has not arrived in its fullness yet. And the story ends in Revelations with Jesus returning And he's coming back and he's bringing all of heaven with him. He's establishing a new city, a new Jerusalem here on earth where there will be no more weeping, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more injustice, no more coronavirus. God's dream for shalom fully realized a people co-reigning with him and cultivating the earth together. But until then, we live right now in the already but not yet. We live in the tension of the kingdom has come and the kingdom is still coming. And in that in-between, the church is meant to continue the work of Jesus, announcing to the world that the kingdom has come, 
and the kingdom is coming. What that looks like is in any area where we see is not in alignment with the kingdom of God, we're called to press in and announce that the kingdom of God has come. And maybe we won't see the immediate breakthrough with our very eyes here in our time. But we're also announcing that there is coming a day where there will be no more sickness, no more pain, a new city, a new Jerusalem, where all is in shalom. And so in looking at the story of God as a five-act play, we are now living in act five. And in act five, we have the opening scene, the birth and the calling of the church. And we have the end scene, Jesus coming back to restore everything to shalom. And here in the middle, there's a whole lot that's being written with our stories here and now. Doesn't that inspire you to live out a good story? That in the story that's told in act five of the early church as recorded in Acts and throughout the New Testament, And the end of the story in Revelation, that our stories are writing the rest of Act 5. I don't know about you, but it inspires, it challenges me to live a story worth contributing to the story of God. Now, the question is, what does this mean for us as the church today? And if you could walk away with anything, it's this. We are called not to be passive consumers of the story of God. Rather, we are called to be active participants in his story. Let me say that again. We're not called to be passive consumers of the story of God. Rather, we're called to be active participants in his story. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, The Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's basically this kid is going to movies. He loves what he sees on the big screen. He gets immersed in these movies because his own life is so different from the whimsical, action-packed, fun nature of the movies that he's watching. And one day he's sitting in the theater And as he's watching the film, just consuming the content that was already created, he gets sucked into the film and he begins living in the world of the movies. And in the same way, what this means for us as a church today is we can't sit back and just just passively consume the story, just watch life unfold around us. But God is calling us into the story to be active participants in bringing his redemption and his renewal. In other words, church isn't something to be consumed, but something to participate in. Remember in our covenant collection about a year and a half ago, we said San Francisco doesn't need another worship service. It needs a covenant community actively participating in God's work of redemption, renewal, and shalom here in San Francisco. Come on, San Francisco doesn't need another great Sunday production. We got Hillsong. We got all these amazing churches with all these great lights and amazing music and bands and amazing, inspiring speakers. We don't need another good two-hour Sunday service. We need a covenant community committed to one another and committed to God and actively participating in bringing renewal to a broken city. You know, this past week, I was part of a lot of clubhouse rooms. If you haven't downloaded the app, it's so fun. But I was part of a lot of clubhouse rooms, listening to conversations, talking about rethinking what the church is in the future. In other words, reimagining the church for the future. 
And I really do believe that the future of the church is not going to be these large gatherings revolving around a dynamic, charismatic personality. I don't think it's going to be superstar-centric megachurches. I mean, it's so sad, but recently, in the past few months, in the past year, we've seen the fall of prominent Christian figures like Rabbi Zacharias, who did horrendous things in preying upon women, Carl Lentz and his infidelity, and, you know, I'm not saying that all of us aren't, you know, it's not possible for all of us to fall into sin. All of us have that propensity to F things up. What I'm saying is maybe that we, this, the way that we've been doing church, the way that we've been idealizing a church as some big production with one center pastor or a few voices that are at the center leading everything, maybe we have it wrong. And maybe the future of the church aren't these big stadiums attracted to a few charismatic personalities, but maybe the future of the church is going to be something a little smaller, something a little more organic, something more community focused. I believe the future of the church is going to be small, authentic, local communities of people in covenant with one another. Not to say that those other people aren't important. Not to say those, those celebrity figures aren't important. They contribute so much to our faith. But I believe as far as the church, I believe the future is going to be smaller, authentic, organic, local communities of people in covenant with one another, not just consuming, but actively participating, where the church isn't run by a few people doing all of the heavy lifting, but by a community of people all participating together to fulfill Jesus's work. This is why I believe in 99. This is why I believe in what we're doing. Because I believe this is the future of the church. I don't care if we never break 50 or 100 or 150 or 200. I care about us being committed to actively participating in God's story here in San Francisco. The question I want to ask you today is this. Are you participating in God's story? Where in your life in your world, can you bring renewal and redemption? Where can you release shalom? And maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, you know, I'd love to participate, but I don't know how. Maybe you're feeling inadequate to be used by God. Like, how can I release shalom when my own life is in utter chaos? How can I bring renewal when I myself am so broken? And I love what N.T. Wright says, theologian N.T. Wright. He puts it this way. When God does the big things, the little people get drawn into. Human systems often forget that, but God doesn't. You matter in the kingdom of God. With your broken story and all, he's inviting you to participate in his work. And God is longing to draw you in to the story. And all you need to do is say yes. And you know what saying yes looks like? It looks like waking up and asking God, God, how can I partner with you today in your work of renewal? It looks like stopping for a moment before making that decision and asking God, God, what do you want me to do? It looks like forgiving those who have wronged you. It looks like noticing the hurting ones and fighting for the oppressed. 
It looks like encouraging your friend when they're down. It looks like praying for those who need a miracle. It looks like committing yourself to a community. It looks like committing yourself to discipleship to look more and more like Jesus. The question is, will you participate in God's story? Will you live a story worth telling? Donald Miller, who we kicked off this entire collection with, um, just a master at storytelling, he says, we live in a world where bad stories are told. Stories that teach us life doesn't mean anything and that humanity has no great purpose. It's a good calling then to speak a better story. How brightly a better story shines. How easily the world looks to it and wonder how grateful we are to hear those stories and how happy it makes us to repeat them. You know, this past week, Krista is into all sorts of weird things. She's in all sorts of these weird clubhouses, like a whale moaning room. I told you last week, a Super Saiyan screen room. But she was in a room this past week called Asian Parents Giving Words of Affirmation. And this is how they set it up. There were like five or six moderators who changed their profile pictures to these um, like Um, Korean mom, Korean dad, Asian grandma, Asian grandpa. And what they would do is they would bring people onto the stage and they would have people share their struggles and share their life story as if they were speaking to their parents. And so these people would come up on stage and they'd be speaking to these six moderators who were acting as Asian parents and grandparents. And they would be sharing like, Mom, Dad, like, I I never felt affirmation from you growing up. Like, I never knew if you were proud of me, and I don't feel like I'm doing well. I don't feel like I'm succeeding in my life, in my career. And they're, like, crying. They're, like, genuinely sharing their heartfelt struggle in their lives. And one by one, what each each of these moderators would do is they they would speak as their parent. Say, listen, daughter. You know, I know that I haven't always affirmed you as your mom, but I want to affirm you today that you're doing well and that I'm so proud of you. And then the dad would come in and say, and it was just so bizarre because people were weeping and breaking down in this random clubhouse room with people that they don't know, with moderators who are pretending to be Asian parents. But it just made me see that people are longing for a better story. Most people already know that their stories are jacked up. They already know that they've made a mess of their lives, of their careers, of their relationships, of their emotions. Most people know that they're living in a bad story. But what people need is a better story to be drawn into. People are longing for a good story to tell. And I want to ask you this, what would it look like if we could be a church here in San Francisco actively participating in God's redemptive work? What would it look like if we were to tell this city a better story than the story that they're hearing at their work, that they're not doing enough, that they need to work harder, that they need to put in more hours, and even then it's not enough? What if we could tell a better story than the story of our modern day culture saying you need to consume more and more and even when you have a lot, it's still not enough. You still need more. You still need to get to that next level. You still need that next promotion. You still need that next house. You still need that next paycheck. What if we could tell a better story than the relationships that our culture is teaching us about where you can just be free and just, just, uh, just give your body and give your entire heart to anyone that you want without committing? What if we could be a source of shalom in our city, so full of anxiety, weariness, and hopelessness? 
What if we could be a covenant people so committed to acting our part in this story well? Can I tell you something, 99? I mean this with all my heart. I believe that we could do it. I believe in you. I believe in our church. I believe that's our destiny. And even if we never become a huge mega church here in San Francisco, drawing in hundreds or thousands of people, I believe if we could get this right, if we could be a people so committed to actively participating and being the church in San Francisco, I believe that we'll see beautiful stories unfold here in our city, here in our time. That's my heart. That's God's heart. From the very beginning, a people to partner with him in cultivating the world together. Right now, I want to invite us to pray. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and just re-inspire our hearts to participate in this story, whatever that looks like in your life. Maybe that just looks like you committing to a church covenant community. Maybe for you that looks like not just scraping on by in your career, in your day-to-day work, but really looking at your work, looking at where God has placed you and asking God, how are you calling me to bring shalom in my company? Maybe it's you looking at your relationships and God, how are you calling me to renew the broken relationships in my vicinity? Whatever it is, I believe that God wants to invite you to participate in his story. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here right now. Would you begin to speak to hearts? Would you begin inspiring us to want to jump into your story, to actively participate, not just living for ourselves, building up our own name, accumulating our wealth, building up our own empires, But what if we could live for a story that's so much better? What if the story that's being told with our lives is not just a story about a a, a man who's doing everything that he can to buy a house or a woman who's doing everything she could to advance her career? What if our story could be something bigger? What if it could align with the story that you're drawing us into, that we are called to renew this world? We are called to advance your kingdom. We are called to bring shalom here in our city, here in our country, here in our world. Would you draw us into that story? Would you inspire us today to actively participate with you in that? And would you make our ears so attuned to the voice of your spirit to tell us how to do that, what to do, What step to take? What does that look like for us right now? We want to be part of your story. We want to partner with you in releasing your shalom. Would you speak to our hearts right now? And as as God is speaking to you and you're interacting with him right now, I just want to end this, this teaching and this entire collection with another quote by Donald Miller. And I think it just paints this beautiful vision of what the end of our lives could look like. How we can get to the end of our lives and be face to face with Jesus and be proud of living a story well told. This is what he says. I don't wonder anymore what I'll tell God when I go to heaven. When we sit in the chairs under the tree, 
outside the city. I'll tell these things to God and he'll laugh, I think, and he'll remind me of the parts I forgot, the parts that were his favorite. We'll sit and remember my story together and then he'll stand and put his arms around me and say, well done, and that he liked my story and my soul won't be thirsty anymore. Finally, he'll turn and will walk toward the city, a city he will have spoken into existence, a city built in a place where once there'd been nothing. God, we can't wait to look back on our story with you. We can't wait for you to point out your favorite parts, even those mundane parts that seem so insignificant, where we were fighting to be faithful, even those parts carry so much joy as you look over. I pray that we would see our entire lives as this beautiful narrative that's folded into the greater story that you're telling. And would we here on earth, in the time that we're alive, be so committed to actively participating in bringing your kingdom, your renewal, and your shalom all around us. We love you, God. Would you give us vision for it? Would you inspire us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.